I'm going to invite Kelsey to come up and read our passage from Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 today. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is to the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thanks, Kels. So Trinity Sunday is a really dangerous Sunday for pastors, for preachers. It's really tempting to turn it into a lecture, and I even brought my pointer to, to do that. Or like a math equation, you know? Uh, for me to try to convince you all, you know, since I've taken a couple of these courses, just a couple more than some of you in the room, uh, to convince you guys to understand these, like, quote, deep things of God in the, just the next 20 minutes. Like, we're going to get 20 or so centuries of philosophy and theology covered in the next 20 minutes. But instead... We're going to try to experience a little bit. We're going to try to experience maybe in a little different medium um, than just me up here lecturing or talking about it. This God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who claims to his people, and he claims this in the Old Testament and in the New, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord God. The Lord is your God. The Lord is one. This God, this triune God, three in one. The temptation is not only my temptation or preacher's temptation, but it's also an artist's temptation. If you look through all this Trinitarian art, um, it, it winds up getting really geometric. You know, it, it, it's kind of strange in some ways. Sometimes it, it creates more problems than it solves. Like our hearts that are prone to make idols, the, the factories of idols. We're prone to misunderstand God, whether in word or in picture. Misunderstand who he is and how he is. Some, sometimes these artists, they, they like paint the Father really t way too big, um, or way too stern, or way too distant, or way too male, or way too white-bearded, you know? Or often, like, you don't even paint the spirit. You know, have you ever noticed that? Or if you do, it's like an add-on. Like, there's this game for Christian art and iconography, and it's called Find the Pigeon. You know, that's like, you, you just look in these paintings, and it's like, oh, they added one right there. And it's just like this little bird, and that's the spirit. But today I want to dig in a little more deeply into how this triune God is to us. How he saves us, who he is, or more accurately, how they are towards us, towards every one of us, and, and why that matters. I want to do this through a few paintings and icons because words sometimes aren't enough. You need 
pieces of art, you need song, you need poetry, because they have this surplus of meaning, which that means it's more than words. It's always more. It's never less. We can always go deeper. We can never get to the bottom. So I want to start uh, with this one. This one. St. Paul had just finished uh, writing to the Roman church in this passage that, that Kelsey read us. He had just finished writing to this church he'd never met about their salvation in Christ. A couple of verses before he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I think we so get accustomed to salvation, to being saved. We so get accustomed to that as just talking about taking away our guilty feelings. We try to make, but we also like our kind of, that makes our evangelism like mostly just make others feel guilty so that then they cannot feel guilty about sin. So they feel that same relief that we so often think about salvation like this that we forget that God's real promise goes above and beyond making us feel better. When God says, I want to save you, and he says that like, constantly, in so many different ways. When God says, I want to save you, the offer is, I want to bring you back to me. I want to find you in that far place that you've run away to, and I want to bring you back to me where I can nurse you back to health. I want to wean you off of all those things, those drugs and poisons, and real and metaphorical, that you're destroying yourself with, I want, I want to take away your need to force intimacy with people or use things that don't really care for you and it's not going to help you. He says, I want to take away your fear and your shyness and I want to make you the best version of you that you can be because Jesus is the best version of a human being there is. A human being who's secure and open and fearless and healthy and because I said so, because of my grace, you're bound up in him. He's my son, so you can be my sons and daughters. That's what salvation is. And all this happens mirac miraculously and mysteriously by God's spirit, who breathes new life into stone-cold hearts and dry bones. This is a spirit that sparks and burns away the dross of everything that doesn't look like the image of God that you were made to be. This is a spirit who facilitates and this kind of reciprocal give and take. Uh, the patristic um, old Christians call this like a dance. They called God a dance. This giving, taking, playful love between father and son. And now between father and his in Christ sons and daughters, us. So Hildegard of Bingham painted God, not with a throne of grace, which is a normal way of, of painting God, not with Jesus' Jordan baptism with the pigeon, you know, um, but through concentric circles. Jesus in the middle, and he's, he's humbly blessing. I hope you guys can see this. Um, and we'll post all these pictures. The, the silver outer circle represents God, this kind of, ethereal father. In the gold 
and this is all illuminated, so it's shiny and metallic and really cool looking. The gold is the spirit that's fiery. And, and this is the same spirit that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the Spirit, in the Father. Jesus is at the center. And, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I, I have a little bit of like contagious baby brain because we're like inside six weeks. But this looks almost like an ultrasound to me. Like Jesus, the Son, is in the womb. Whether or not this is what Hildegard had in mind when she painted this, it seems kind of appropriate that Christ, who's the firstborn of creation, would, by the Spirit, also help us to be born again. By the same Spirit to God. That we could be immersed in God, brought in, made part of the family in Christ who is in God. If this blows your mind, then good. It's supposed to. You wouldn't be the first. Let's remember Jesus' secret encounter with Nicodemus. Uh, when Jeff and I went to that conference a few weeks ago, uh, this really renowned New Testament scholar uh, refers to Nicodemus and Jesus' talk as Nick at night. Um, here's a refresher. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, and this is in John 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone born by the Spirit. Jesus waxes philosophical, and Nicodemus says, how can this be? <laughs> There's something fundamental about who God is that says he wants to remake you into his child, even if you've grown up or grown out of it even if you've tried to emancipate yourself from him, because of his son and spirit, he wants you to know him as father once again. He wants you to receive his crazy love that he, is not, that he not only has, but that he's, he's made of. Imagine how generous someone would be if they were literally made of money, right? You always say, your dad growing up, right? What do I look like? I'm made of money. Scripture says God is love. Imagine God, the Father, loving you like he's made of love. Uh, one theologian, Miroslav Volf, reminds us, God is the utterly loving giver. God doesn't just love. God is love. And so he makes us his children. He draws us into this inexhaustible love, spoils us rotten with the love of a proud dad. So he asks us to be what he already made us, to be what we already are, his kids. Because Jesus is his son and Jesus knew his father's love. Another theologian, J.B. Torrance, says, our response, what we do in obedience and 
faith is a response to a response already made for us by Christ to the Father's holy love. Our response is a response to a response. So I have this Bob Dylan record cover hanging in my office. Actually, a trilogy, and these are like the greatest Dylan records. They're like these late 70s, early 80s, made in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where Nell's dad lives and makes music. And this is also a plug. In a couple weeks, there's a show, um, not this Thursday, but the next Thursday in Carborough, that a bunch of our musicians are participating in, where they're playing one of these records, Slow Train Coming. Uh, so it's at the Arts Center. You can ask Jeff or me. Um, but I have this, this record cover hanging in my house, and it's, or in my office, and you can see it. And it's, um, whoa, sorry. I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's for a record called Saved, and it's this big divine hand reaching down, and it's all these hands reaching up. And it's like the desperate people who want to follow Jesus, or maybe it's the Father's hand. You almost, you get this vertical picture that, that's like almost telling the story, like I imagine like in the Gospels when Jesus is going to heal Jairus' daughter and that woman reaches out and touches Jesus and he's in the middle of a crowd and Jesus says, whoa, who touched me? You know, like this is, that's horizontal and this is the vertical picture of that, that sort of desperation. But I want to show this, this next piece. I'm terrible at this. This next piece by Marlene Schultz in... And this, this piece, I think, tells a little fuller story of this. A little fuller story than the Dylan cover. And I love the Dylan cover. I'm not ragging on it. But in this one, the prayer, right here, you can see with the hands raised in this praying posture, the prayer can easily be confused. It's, it's either us, maybe it's Christ. We get these, these stories of Jesus in the garden praying so hard that he's, he's sweating blood. This prayer um, is embraced by the Father's, by these everlasting arms of the Father, while the Spirit, again in the form of a dove, goes right to the heart of the prayer. Right, um, right at the point of contact between God and us, between God and the Son, Notice the movement, too. There's, there's downward movement, and there's upward movement, and upward movement into this circle, this dance, this swirl of divine life. And, and Paul's letter reminds us that by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. We've got to remember that Paul was a Jew who spoke, to Gre- who spoke Greek, was his like, mother tongue, to Romans, and yet he unleashes this tender Aramaic word, Abba, in his letter. Abba is baby talk for father. Maybe in the first words an infant might muster, Abba. You know, kids don't even talk words, they talk syllables. Abba. But mustering doesn't just come from us. Our prayers don't just come from us. Part of our salvation or the Christian life, no part of our salvation comes from how capable we are how clever we are, it's more that the dove is going straight to our heart. No part of our Christian life is how perfect we are or have been. If that's your barrier, (laughs) drop it. 
That's not even part of the, the, the vocabulary, not even part of the math. If Oak Church starts to look like the kind of place where we have it figured out, someone speak up, please. Because <laughs> that would mean that we've stopped letting the Spirit, as Paul says, testify with our spirits that we are God's children. That we've assumed that we could do that heavy lifting. That we could do that far-reaching. That we could be these hands and not God. That we could clean up our sin or make ourselves what God has already called us. His kids, sons, and daughters, brothers and sisters. And now I want to look at this most famous one. This, this dinner scene between Abraham's visitors. But first, have you, have you guys ever played that game where you like put together the hypothetical of seven people in history, living or dead, that you could have dinner with. Have you ever done that? This is homework for Potluck, too, to share these. Like, have you, if you've ever had, like, if you've ever organized a dinner party with people that aren't in the same, like, social circle, let alone potentially, like, century, like, imagine what a train wreck that dinner party would be, right? Like, what would they even talk about? Unless you, like, purposely, like, matchmake and put this perfect dinner together and have, like, George Harrison and Mother Teresa and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Flannery and Rembrandt and John the Revelator and John Sebastian Bach all sitting at the table and assuming they could, because of Pentecost, understand each other, probably. I'm sure if that was the dinner, I'd be the one left out of the conversation. I'd just be bringing bread, you know, like, the whole time. I'd be the one that didn't belong. But we come to uh, Andrei Rublev's famous trinity. We find three identical persons around a table. If you can see their faces, they're all the exact same faces. And, and these persons are Abraham's visitors from Genesis 18. And here's a refresher, and I love, love, love this story. From Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into his tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of finest flour and knead it and make some bread. That's what I would be doing. Uh, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk, and the calf had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, 
why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. This scene has often been considered an Old Testament Trinity appearance uh, that Rublev painted. In the background of this story is Abraham's, the story of Abraham's hospitality, these divine visitors. The background of that story is Abraham's whole story. This is a story of God creating a people, even an unbelievable, laughable people. (laughs) A people, Israel, that would, if we remember, be blessed to be a blessing. And eventually in Christ, this people would be expanded to include even Gentiles in God's plan, even us. These three characters under the oaks of Mamre, and that's an oak tree if you can't see it. They're identical, and they all wear blue. You can see they all wear blue. And that blue is their, their sign, their seal of divinity. And then from right to left, we find Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father's robe is... It's kind of transparent. And again, look these images up where you can really see them. And it's transparent because God is immortal and invisible, present, but kind of mysteriously absent from our sight, hidden but present. The sun is in the center, and he's the focal point. He wears royal priesthood purple. Think Hebrews 1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in many ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his word. And then he goes on to say that he's inherited Everything, his inheritance is even superior to the angels. The son reaches for the cup, and it's the cup of his suffering. It's also the cup that we share of his blood as we remember his sacrifice on the cross. And then on his left, on the far right, is the spirit who, who gestures towards the son, who gestures, and with the son, both they're, they're looking at the father, they're showing us the Father. And the Spirit wears green, the sign of new life, of regeneration. The Spirit gestures towards the cup and also kind of glances towards the open spot of the table. And a really cool thing in most pictures or in, in the way we see, you know, if you look, look down a, a straight like picture like you're in the, the west or the southwest and you have this long straight road in front of you, in the way perspective works, is it goes from wide to narrow. We've, we've all seen that. We've learned how to draw that in like third grade. Well, the cool thing is the perspective on this painting is all wrong. It's messed up. It goes from wide to narrow so that we're on the horizon, so that God, this trinity of these people, are looking at us, and there's a spot for us right here at the table, and, and we're kind of the, the, the end point. We're not the vantage point. They're looking out at us and saying, sit here. And there's this, with their heads, there's this circularity that they, they somehow, Rublev's achieved this, this amazing thing that, that says, there's this thing happening in here, 
but there's a way for you to get in. <clears throat> there's this reverse perspective and this circularity. And Henry Nouwen talks about this. He talks about praying with pictures like this. And, and this, this is like a, a really cool change up if you don't do this. And I don't think most of us do this. To, to have a picture and to use that to guide your prayer. He says, we come to experience a gentle invitation to participate in the intimate conversation that is taking place amongst the three divine angels and to join them around the table. The movement from the Father towards the Son and the movement from the Son and Spirit towards the Father became a movement in which the one who prays is lifted up and held secure. We're lifted up and held secure because God has made room for us. He's allowed us to join this intimate conversation that's been going on for eternity between the holy family. He's cleared a space and he's pulled up a chair for us at a family table. He's given us everything he's ever given his son, an inheritance, a future resurrection, eternal life, and the task to call others to repentance, to include them in Christ's lordship in this kingdom. That we join the spirit, we're empowered by this gentle spirit that gestures and opens us out to God and each other. The spirit that blows renewal, creates possibility. And then we share. We share like a family is supposed to share. We share the good and we share the bad. We share joy and we share pain together and with the God we worship. And I'll, I'll leave with this one, and I'm going to leave it up during our time that we confess and we converse with God. This is William Blake's sketch of the Trinity, which sees the Holy Spirit, again, hunt the dove, um, the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Son's suffering for us on the cross, and there's no cross, but his arms are outstretched. But with Jesus, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God is with Jesus, who's with us all under the Spirit. Do you know what that means? It means that God knows our suffering and fears because he's felt them. God knows pain and loneliness because he's bore it. God knows that you'll still feel these things and that through his grace he's, he's flipped the dynamic and actually let you and I share in Christ's sufferings. To reformulate 1 John, we suffer because he suffered first. Any suffering, and this is like the whole scale between martyrdom and like the tiny little sacrifices we make in everyday life. In any ways that, that you and I are learning to die to ourselves and our ambition, the ways that we've charted our futures and even under good motivations, all of these are held together in Christ's suffering on the cross, in our place, on our behalf. The call is not to run away from suffering, not to run away from who we really are as sons and daughters of God, but by faith to return, to live into who God has made and remade and continues to remake us into his beloved. 
to share in the suffering. And I'll, I'll close, I'll, I'll put this back up, but I'll close with, with uh, Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase of our passage, because uh, I think it, it'll, it's a good thing to ring out. And then after this, we'll, we'll spend some time alone conversing with God, confessing our sins before God, and then we'll do it together. But uh, he says, and again, this is Romans 8, 12 through 17 paraphrase. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are, who we know he is. And we know who we are, father and children. And we know who we're going to get. We know we're going to get what's coming next, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for these pictures that just help us start to scratch the surface of who you are and who you are is love through and through all the way down we can't exhaust that love we can only learn it more and more learn how to accept it learn how to be formed by it learn how to have it form the way we love and who we love and how we love Father we thank you so much for loving us for adopting us by your spirit, but for looking at us the way that you look at your own son who you've always known. Lord, help us look at, at Jesus as our, as our life, as our example, as our hope. Help us look at Jesus for what it looks like to be your sons and daughters to be abandoned and obedient um, to your will. Help us look to Jesus to know how to suffer, um, not because we're, we have some death wish, but because uh, this world doesn't reward obedience. Yeah, because we don't need to fear death anymore. Father, we thank you for calling us your children. We ask each day that we learn more and more what that means and how to be what we are. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.